I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod after week one of the Rugby World Cup. I'm really keen not to turn this into a Rugby World Cup post-mortem or, or eulogy for the All Blacks in this episode. A big loss, a lot of things to improve. Rinse and repeat against France after that Springboks defeat as well and a lot of New Zealanders are not too happy. But there's lots of good stuff in the World Cup too. We saw the Springboks this morning take down Scotland. A lot of people were interested in how that would go. They did well. The English... Who needs to attack when you can kick drop goals from 50 metres? That was interesting. Fiji, one pass away against Wales, and Eddie Jones got a win. <laughs> wow. Lots to talk about. James Parsons. How are you, mate? <laughs> Did you have any time with nah. anything but the television on the weekend? No, nah, well, there's a World Cup and then there's the NPC, you know, so it's just uh, rugby galore. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the NRL and everything. Yeah, yeah, along. yeah. Let's not mention Israel Adesanya. <laughs> that was tough to watch too. It was, a, it was a funny weekend of sport for New Zealand, even the cricket. Yeah, we were peaking one day and then mm. not so good the next. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it interesting. Was, it was a long weekend. It was definitely a long weekend. Of course, joining us from over in Japan, Bryn Hall. Bryn, a lot of footy on your agenda on the weekend. Did you crank, what, 14, 15 hours in front of the tally? Oh, I did, mate. I um, had a game on, <clears throat> excuse me, had a game on Saturday, but um, pretty much was up this morning, watched the the Fiji and Welsh game, the Fiji and Wales game. It's probably the best game of their own, I thought. Um, we'll, we'll dive into that, but man, a lot of great games, and um, you obviously will get into the New Zealand French game, which um, for New Zealand pundits will be uh, will be pretty disappointed around that. Yeah. The backlash. Comments. The backlash. Well, I mean, really, you know, when we look back over the last few years, we've had a lot of firsts. A first loss in the World Cup pool play wasn't unexpected this weekend, I think, from a lot of people considering form over the last few years and the fact the French are at home and a very good side. Um, so maybe it wasn't so much of a shock because we're kind of used to it. I don't know. Like, we show glimpses. Like, if you look at it for the most part, and statistically, apart from the final quarter, the All Blacks actually won. And I know stats is only one point of the, the argument, I suppose. But when we've done well, and, and if we use this season, um, if we use Mount Smart, we've, we've been really direct early, which allows you to kick on your terms. And, and I know everyone's got obsessed with us that we've kicked too much, um, which, which I get. But it's probably because the short kicking game was the plan. It was in there. But I don't know if we manipulated the defence enough for it to actually be effective. We, we sort of maybe pulled trigger on those kicks earlier than we should, so France just had too many bodies in and around that area to cover it. 
Um, but I suppose the, the thing they'll look at most is, you know, five penalties in that last quarter when you need to be, you know, like you need to be razor sharp in that last quarter to win. If you're going to win a World Cup, we, we know it will come down to it. And, and then also just how much ball we gave back in that last quarter when we were chasing the game. Um, it, it got away on us. Like the score's, you know, quite significant in the end, but it was pretty tight there for a bit. And I think like when we scored after half time, man, like I was like, oh, we're, we're on here. Um, but, you know, it also does show that uh, I think we saw in all of the games that scoreboard pressure is key, so being able to get your kicks is going to be massive as well if, if we are to progress to the later stages. It went awry in the last 20 minutes against the Springboks as well. Why is this team unable to stay composed and keep in these games? Well, I think, to be honest, the last two games, it's that, their scoreboard pressure, I think that Jip's talking around. I think, you know, once we had that yellow card with Will, um, there was a penalty 19-13, um, and then we were never be able to accumulate that kind of momentum and pressure uh, that we were able to do on attack earlier in the game. So I think for the for the All Blacks, I think the, the kind of summary for me around it was where we were at and I think where these top teams are, the ability for us to be able to stay on mentally um, with whatever your job is in those moments, especially in the last 20 minutes, um, we're just missing a little bit. So, you know, whether that's a clean out, um, whether that's a, a set piece more, whether it's a scrum, whatever your job is in that necessary moment of the game, being able to nail it. Um, and if we don't get that right, um, we tend to be able to not get these results. And I think also as well, you know, we had nine turnovers um, through the French defensive pressure around the breakdown. And when you're giving away turnover pressure like that, um, you're giving away penalties, 14 penalties in a game. Um, it makes it a lot harder. So I think for us, when we have those abilities to be able to try score points or I guess whatever the game looks like in terms of what's needed in your moment, with your position or wherever you are on the field, you've got to be able to nail it, nail it and being calm. I think that's one of the words that Fozzie used, being able to be calm in those situations, especially with our bench coming on the last 20 minutes. How do you fix that when you've got games against Namibia, Italy and Uruguay? No disrespect, but I mean, how do you get to a point where you're able to practice your composure over those three weeks? I think it'd be unfair to just circle the last 20. Like, I think that second 20, we had a lot of opportunity to actually get points. And, you know, obviously the example of when the ball was passed out um, just before the break, if we can score there, then we've got the scoreboard pressure. Um, if we get all our kicks, like, we actually put ourselves in a position, like the South African game, like it ran away on us. Mm. You know, we actually were never in that. Whereas we were right in the mixer. Like, had we scored just before half time, and then, you know, obviously had Mark Talaya's try straight after the break. Like the teams that win comps score before and after the break. You know, like we've heard about the Crusaders for years doing it. We put ourselves in that position. We didn't execute then. So I think if we can actually get better execution when the opportunities, because the opportunities are few and far between. Like, I think we had seven visits into the 22. You know, that's that's not a hell of a lot. France, six, but they took most of theirs. Um, so it, it would be easy to just say, you know, last 20 minutes, but we, we missed so many opportunities before that that I think, you know, that we, that our senior players, the guys that are starting that need to take those opportunities so that, it is a little bit, you know, I suppose, easier to come on and, and make that impact in the last quarter. You always talk about not playing too much footy in your own half. They had 31 rucks between their own 22 and halfway. That's a lot. It's massive. Why are they playing so much in their own half? French, the French were like, let's get it down there. Yeah, so I think it was like, to, to give the stats, 39 rucks total in, in their own half. So 49% of their rucks for the All Blacks were in their half, whereas the French were 29%. They only had 18, and I'm including their own 22, 
in all of that. And I think if you use Fiji as an example, I'm always like, man, when they've got a low ruck count in their half, they do really well. Um, but yeah, it, it was because, the reason it, it looks like that is because they're trying to probably manipulate the defense and then their, sh their kicking game wasn't a long kicking game. It was actually like, we actually kicked less than France, but it was because we did a lot of contestables, we did a lot of short chip kicks. And we had, as I said before, we hadn't manipulated the defence enough with the with the carry. Like if we think about when Shannon Frizzell shot out of the gates against the Springboks, got him behind, and then you know you could go to an edge, and we'd we'd put so much, um, I suppose, impact in the collision area, it tied in South Africa, and they were like, right, we need to get shoulders on and absolutely belt um, the, the Kiwis backwards because. And then we went to obviously finding space, you know, if it was a cross-field kick or a contestable, but we'd done the manipulation around mm. there. We just didn't get to that point, I don't think. Um, and we probably weren't winning the collisions as effectively, mm. like maybe meeting game line just behind. Whereas if you think about Mount Smart, man, like the forwards were just absolutely steamrolling through. There was no tips, there was no passed out the back, it was like, right, I'm carrying, and the two cleaners are really tight, and that ball was fast, and, and that's how we got our momentum. I actually think when we keep things simple, and you know, and I think you said it best on our group chat, is like, don't get too cute before we've done mm. the work. Mm. Um, so I, I think you know that'll be the big focus, is, is that simplicity, especially for jerseys one to eight, because they will give the platform, and I always harp on about it, they will give the platform for the nines and tens and the fifteens to be able to better execute the game plan. And and I think, you know, through whatever reason, we just didn't get that physical dominance. And it could have been that frustration from set piece as well, you know, like uh, there's there's a few, you know, 50-50 calls and things that didn't go our way, but it shouldn't really detract us away from you know, what we need to do in our game plan. Bryn, what blows my mind about that is that the two occasions where the All Blacks have been exceptional in the last two years are Mount Smart and Ellis Park. Mm. And in those two games, they have kept it close, played off nine a lot, done their hard yards, and then gone and done their thing. Why would they veer away from that? Surely having seen the results of that, you would think, okay, World Cup opener against France, their territory, earn it. Yeah, I think, well, there, there might have been their mindset going, um, going through them, but I think you look at the execution side and probably the game plan um, was being able to to not do that. And I think you look at the first four, four test matches of the year, and especially the one in uh, Mount Smart, the things that Jib's talking around sets up everything around our game, whether that's the attacking kicking games off our 10, 12, 15, or whatever it may be, or a long kicking game. If we win that physicality battle up front and around one to eight, around winning collisions and getting that quick ball, everything opens up. But I think the last two test matches, we've got to give credit to the other two teams. You know, South Africa and the French have put us under pressure in and around that breakdown where we haven't been able to play out our terms with that fast football, having things all our own way. So I look at it on the weekend, um, it might be coming back and really stripping it back like the two points that you guys have brought back and making it really clear for the first 20 minutes, for example. When we do play against Italy, I believe, that's probably the next time we're going to be tested against um, a pretty good side in and around those areas. And then, if anything, um, it starts to open up our game in and around our attacking, kicking game, ability to be able to get out and use it with the width with our backs and being able to really, I guess, use our outside backs in that sense of being able to gain momentum that way. If we look back to when um, we lost to Argentina in Christchurch, we, we, mm. that was probably the last time we probably played a little bit too much in between our 22 and halfway. And through that, it was where we were giving those penalties away. All kickable. Do you know what I mean? So like the penalty count actually wasn't that high. Mm. Yes, you know, like the stats I've got here, it was 12 to four. They, they were very disciplined and didn't give away much, but 
it was where we gave them, I think, you know, 10 of the 12, based on the, um, the, the stats map I saw, were all kickable. Yes, they missed some, but if they got the, you know, like that, that that's the killer blow. So if you are going to play that style of maybe chancing your arm in between the 20, your discipline around that contestable kick game, and in and around the breakdown, if you if if you are going to you know try and manipulate that defence, is is massive because we've seen pretty much every side. I don't know if it looked like it was attitude, but man, every kick over the weekend just seemed to travel a massive amount of distance. Mm. Um, I know that's not at altitude, but it was it was like you're watching games in South Africa. Um, you're just going to get punished. Yeah. You just like just it fun. is a dangerous game if you don't get it accurate, and we've seen us lose to Argentina in Christchurch the exact same way. Um, you look at the likes of, of England as well, who pretty much just played without the ball and been able to build that defensive pressure. And you even look at the, the, the South Africans as well, the pressure that they put on, uh, they put on Scotland. And you look at that first 20 minutes against the Scottish, that's not a Scottish side that I've seen in that first 20 minutes of being able to be put under, been under pressure so much through that high line speed, which I think the All Blacks are probably going to find later in the tournament when they do play the South Africa, probably in a quarterfinal, if Ireland end up topping that pool. And so how do we get that ability to be able to try and nullify that or deal with that when we haven't got you know the high-pressure situations with only Italy? So it'd be something for that coaching group to think of, you know, forecasting for what's going to be in the future. But um, yeah, it seemed to be kicking long, exerting pressure and being able to really make um, decision-making areas around that breakdown. Um, I think the All Blacks got that wrong and it's something they have to try to rectify later in the tournament, I think. Teams are now looking at the All Blacks and going, well, we just keep it simple. We don't play, we give it to them, we pressure them. No worries. We don't have to do anything. We just put it on them and reap the rewards later on. Well, that's why I think that comes back to my first point and the ability of the All Blacks mentally to be able to stay in games and understanding in those situations what's what's required of you in those moments. And look, rugby, there's so many variables and so many things that are going to happen. But I think for us, especially against those those big teams of Ireland, the French, and even South Africa as well, if we aren't on in certain situations, a breakdown, set piece, our kicking game, if that isn't all coming, marrying up together, we're not getting the results. So our wiggle room, I believe, Jip, um, is a little bit less and we have to be able to get that right. And so the challenge, I think, for you know this coaching group is we're not going to feel that. Maybe we might feel that against Italy, but you know how do we prepare these boys to be able to know when coming to that quarterfinal time, very similar to that game against the French, um, very high situational football, and are we able to be able to adapt and get that result if it's required when we get into those later stages. Well, I think we've got to take a leaf out of Ireland's book and we're going to have to stick with the 23 to get some rhythm. You know, like, yeah, it may not be getting the pressure, but if you look at Ireland on the weekend, they just dismantled Romania and it was a lot of their big guns. You know, you look at Sexton and Gibson Park, you know, Aki was huge and, and their forward pack and their skill set and their ability to execute, there's still bodies and, and players to manipulate and, and they were just ruthless um, with the amount of ball and territory they had and I think we're going to have to name our best lineup going going forward to get the rhythm, right? to, to make sure that you know everyone understands each other um, and, and who's, who's doing what and, and, and how we're doing it. So do you do that against Namibia and Italy and then rest them a little bit for Uruguay or...? I think you're just going to have to play it game by game because you don't know where your squad's going to be at injury-wise. So I don't think like it's easy for me to say, oh, I just put the same 23 out there. But I think this week we definitely need our top 23. 
like Ireland, like you watch that Irish game, man, like they were just so clean. I know they were a little bit rusty at the start and they had a high turnover count, but if you go 68% possession, 73% territory, and they scored 82 points, they were one of the few teams other than, I think, Fiji that ran more than they kicked in terms of metres. Mm. Um, they were just so clinical. And if you look at it statistically to Australia versus Georgia, I know Georgia are a better opposition than Romania, but Aussie had 63% and 73% territory, similar to Ireland, but only scored 35 points. And that is, like, I, I will definitely, my opinion of where things were going to land in that pool changed on the weekend from, from watching the South African game and, and the Irish performance. You know, Ireland, man, they look slick. Mm. Again, I think Sexton's a key thing for them. He has to be there. Yep. if they're going to win this World Cup. But when he's there, holy dooly, they're good to watch. So last week we used South Africa, Ireland, and this week you're Ireland, South Africa in that pool. Yeah, because I, I just think, like, this morning, um, again, I know I've harped on about it, but the, the Springboks, I'm just not used to them missing kicks, like when they go for penalties, or and also their attitude around, like, not going to the corner early. Mm. You know, like, like, the strike rate of that mall is so high, and even if... Even if it doesn't go well, they actually have got the skill set, as we saw with the old no-look crossfield kick, to manipulate the defence and score points. Um, so I think they just need to back themselves a little bit more because they're not getting the reward of the scoreboard pressure because they're missing penalties. Mm. You know, Pollard knocks them from everywhere, but you know, Lebot is some days he's hot and he can hit them all, but then yeah. there's some days like uh, Monday morning where. You know, he wasn't, and in other games that may put them under pressure. So outside of his uh, his kicking, Bryn, do you feel like the box general game play is starting to work out well for the box? 100%. 100%. I think the ability of him and Willemser, I thought Willemser um, was great on the weekend around, especially injecting himself in that in the outside um, outside channel. But yeah, it's just it's just so uncommon to see a South African team, and when it comes to penalty goals and not being able to nab your kicks, like um, and obviously Fuff de Klerk was able to to come on and try to change the momentum. But you'd have to think in those kind of crucial situations, um, big penalties that's going to be a massive indicator around, or I guess something that's going to be an Achilles for the South Africans because I love the way that they're playing, and I think you know due to the fact that they're not getting those penalties, they might have to think, you know what, going back to Jip's point, we need to go to the corner and be able to score points through that way. And what that does do as well, we've talked about it a lot, it exerts a lot of a, a lot of pressure, it exerts a lot of energy and being able to take the gas tank out of other, other teams. So that might be something that they want to try to do moving forward, going back to their set piece. You even look at their scrum as well, they were able to get four penalties in the second in the second half, being able to build pressure around that. But no, I, I definitely think Lebot is 100% the right guy. If he could goal kick, I think the South Africans would be in a really good place, but I think unfortunately that Achilles heel coming in the later parts, the later stage of the competition um, with the bot goal kicking, it might be a bit of a Achilles heel for them. Well, we know that the decision is coming from coaching staff, right? Because we've seen the red and orange lights come on. <laughs> it's not coming from the captain. I think it's just like a like because as a leadership group and coaching group, you have so many meetings during the week about. What's your strategy in parts of the game? You know, different scenarios around penalty option taking. And I, I just think it's a distract. I don't know. Like, I just don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's so strange. It's so strange. <laughs> innovation. There's only again, innovation, man. Like, I know we give Eddie a lot of credit, but I honestly think it's like a tactic to take the talking point away from the game. Yeah. You know, to take sort of like the heat on him. And let the players sort of, 
I don't know. Mm. I, I, he's so much smarter than, you know, well, myself. Like, there'll be a, there, he doesn't do things for no reason. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's actually, <laughs> like, it's just so ridiculous. Like, yeah. He, of course, is Rasi Erasmus, and if you missed it, he was up in the coaching box. He's not the coach, of course, he's the director of rugby. <laughs> So they say. He wasn't and, also holding the torch. And, and he has his colours, <laughs> little lights, and he holds them up to signal a decision for the players to run off uh, during the game. Really interesting to see. Like it's good fun. That's the thing I like about Rusty. Yeah, it's but that's what I mean. Seven like, forwards him on at and once. Eddie, or, uh, yeah. They 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 really do yeah. are the masterminds of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but look, in saying that, they got a good win against a good Scottish side, 18-3. You know, and you always go into the comments section, Bryn, and we're always getting slated for not giving the South Africans enough credit. Well, what? Got to... I picked them to win their pool last <laughs> week. Yeah, I know, but that's what Jeez, they say. It's not enough. You can't please a Springbok fan oh. all the time. They're very passionate. Well, I think obviously us talking about um, last week around the Scottish and being, um, you know, possibly winning the pool, uh, obviously from Ben Darwin and that. But I think the two things that I was really impressed with, I mean, good luck to some teams if you can't win that that, that collision, that collision area. Because you look at, I think it was in the, the 26th minute, I um, mean, you know, Fuff de Klerk and Arensa come right in and been able to try and cut off, cut it off. And they end up cutting off that play. But there's so much space on the outside. But if you look at that, the defensive pressure that they put on that Scottish team, especially in the first 20 minutes. Man, Finn Russell was trying to be able to play with the ball in the hand, but the ball wasn't quick. Um, guys weren't running the right lines because of the defensive pressure that the South Africans were able to put on them. So I think it was a, it was a reconfirm, reconfirm for me around um, the collision area. And if they do get it right and that high line speed pressure, your attacking kicks and your communication skills that have been able to bring into your inside pairings. And if you're going to be able to try and get to that space, You've got to have that good communication skills because um, the Scottish, I thought, um, they were a bit frazzled in the high line speed pressure that the Springboks were able to put on them in that first half and pretty much the whole game, to be honest, as well. The, the irony, and I'm not going to go back to it, but I am going to go back to it, actually. <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at all the big games, so Wales, Fiji, South Africa, Scotland, England, RG, and New Zealand, France, New Zealand actually have the highest game line percentage. Mm-hmm. So like there, the game's there. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? Like that, they did actually quite well for a, a bulk of that um, that performance in terms of the collision area that we're talking about. So I actually think they need like similar to the Springboks, like back yourself. Like I actually think that forward pack needs to back themselves, and they 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 can match it with the big guns. Mm. Well, one of the interesting things for me, obviously coming out of that game was, you know, people have been talking the last few weeks, hey, Mark is playing great, Mark is playing great, and there's no doubt he can beat a defender and he's going really great, but three turnovers from 13 carries. What I'd like to know from you, Jipper, is why? <laughs> why why are him and Bowden Barrett and Richie Moonga always getting isolated and then the opposition teams are coming in and turning over the ball? I think Mark in particular is so good at beating defenders late that sometimes potentially if you're the if you're the player that's going to clean him out, you're, you're getting ready to clean and then he'll disappear into another space. And the reason I laugh is I used to have this issue when I was holding the edge with Tavita Lee. Like, sometimes I'd yell at him, could you just go down, please? <laughs> like, because he'd weave, weave, and he'd almost sprint away from me and get disconnected. And, and then that would give the opposition that chance to steal but it's actually on it's on me in that situation and and the others around to to make sure that they're aware because i don't think you can you don't want to hamstring mark 
Like he he can come out the other side and win you a game, mm. and if you if you make him start to second guess, so I actually think it's the cleaners that need to need to be um, better at it in no. terms of that disconnect. I suppose the reason I'm hot on it is because I feel like that's about the time that they're starting to get a flow, yeah, yeah. and the flow is going and they're getting into their game, and then boom, it's over. No, you're bang on. Like it's it's definitely it needs to yeah. improve. Um, I I just. You've got to let him go, though. Like he's our best player at the moment, mm. if, if we're honest. Yeah. And and as I say, like he could he could be the hero next. Well, in the quarterfinal, and you don't want to make him second guess. Like the moment players are not doing everything on instinct, then you know that's when I think they'll get into trouble. Now we've got a viewer question. It actually came through this morning from Joe Kutsia, email from South Africa. He's emailed us before. He's got a problem, and it's a good old-fashioned doozy one we've spoken about over the last little while, guys. Uh, my big problem concerns Bowden Barrett playing most of the attacking ball as first receiver. Why did they supposedly give the keys to Richie if Bowden is taking the majority of the attacking play at first receiver? Now, a bit of context, Bowden had 18 carries, 18 kicks, 11 passes, of course, some of them being at the back. Moonga, 11 carries, 7 kicks, 20 passes, which makes me think he's actually spent quite a lot of time at first receiver if he's got that many passes. I think if you look across the whole weekend of the games, 15s have actually touched the ball a lot more than the first receiver. Mm. And it's purely because of the way teams are playing in terms of you know the kick strategy and the physical nature of, of the contest. Um, I, I do find it hard to answer, if I'm honest. Like, um, if you're in the 10 jersey, you know, I mean, Bryn, you'll be able to talk to it probably better than me, but it, if you're in the 10 jersey, you're the boss. Like, I'd, I've never been in a team where there's been confusion over that, and I can't imagine that's the case here. I know I can see the sense of frustration around people thinking that Richie doesn't have the keys, but I think he definitely does. It's just that there's two pivots in their All Black, in their all black system um, where the 15 touches the ball a lot. But in saying that, I'd rather have, if you're thinking of an attacking weapon, and I know this won't happen, you know, imagine Will Jordan having the ball 18 times in and around those areas, you know? So I know they're gonna, they're not going to have that position where they're going to put Will into fullback, um, but or they might. Yeah, possibly a danger. Yeah, they might. You know, for me, if our fifteen's touching the ball eighteen times, who's our best attacking weapon at fullback? It's it's Will Jordan, you know. But whether they want to go through that, I don't think they will, considering that they're going to stay with that two pivot. And Brody has some great strengths in around the kicking game, the communication skills, and being a second pivot. And that's the DNA of what the All Blacks environment of the All Blacks game plan at the moment. That's where they see the ten and fifteen, and that's the 15's role. But if the fullback's touching the ball 18 times, man, a goal like Will Jordan, you give him 18 touches on the ball in those positions, um, it's a massive weapon that we could use, but I think they won't go with that considering with how we play with the All Blacks at 10-15 and with Bridgie and Bodie. I suppose I can understand it because I think Mark Talia's a right winger. Hmm. And I think what we've seen from Leicester this year with the Crusaders and his work rate off the ball and his ability to be direct, um, you know, with Will at fullback, like, I don't think you could go wrong with that. Um, but I'll go back to my original point. If that's where they see the team, then I think they've got to stick with it. I, I think it's unfair to make it about Bodie as well. Like, if you understand team structures, a lot of the comms will come from the outside. So it's going to go the way where those comms are coming from. So if Bodie's on the right and the comms keep coming from the outside, we need to go right. You can't just not pass to him because you, mm. you want it to be mm. a pair. You know, and I think Richie's doing his job because if that's the comms, he's trusting them. and. I, I just, yeah, I don't think it's an individual thing. I, that's what I'm just trying to say is like they've got to get in their rhythm. 
like the whole team and it's not about individuals like things get celebrated about individuals when the team's in rhythm yeah do you know what I mean but and then I think if you put it all on one person in this situation like yeah, it just doesn't work. A system, a system at that level, just does not work. That one person can override everything. Yeah, it's just and, it's impossible. Yeah, and Ross, you were, you know, Bodie was on our on our podcast not too long ago, and you know the way that he was talking in and around its importance about uh, the communication skills, and it's not just based on a fifteen; it's based around your wingers on your outsides. It might be a loose forward edge that's on the edge. That's a- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Communicate, has to communicate that. And, and, you know, Jim, you played with Bodie a lot. Uh, we've heard a lot of things around his communication skills. And so I think to have Richie at 10, you need someone that has that great communication skill. And I think, you know, Bodie being at 10 and considering his communication and his now in and around what's required as a 10 and just in general, his general brain thinking. Um, I think we have to be able to stick with that. And to your point, Jip, I think we need to see it next week and be able to put those guys together. And I, I played with him at 15 and 10. And he actually, like, defensively, he talks a hell of a lot, which is amazing for a forward. But yes. he actually, if if he's not clear on the comms, he will. it'll be more him saying to the outside, like, where's the comms? Mm. Like he, mm. He's not a demanding attacking voice. That's what I'm trying to say. Like your system is your system, and it's reliant on so many variables or so many players to play their role. And mm. I wouldn't say, you know, we had both him and Stevie. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't say that he's ever a, like a dominating voice in an attacking system. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to another interesting selection conundrum because when Sam Kane went down as the president of the Luke Jacobson fan club, <laughs> I was blown away that he wasn't selected at six and they chose a lock come blindside flanker for such a huge game when you know that you need to be physically dominant, you know you've got to clean, you, and you know that Luke Jacobson is that guy, Jipper. Yeah, I've, I've, I was confused because I'd obviously gone for Dalton, so I was trying to... Get in my own head, okay, are they worried about the line But then I'm like, well, Luke and Dalton are pretty similar players um, in that six role. So, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, and I think around that simplicity and clarity, I think we need to really focus on putting guys that play in their primary position. 
mm. and they have done all year. Um, I could only see it as a line-out thing because, mm. yeah, I, what, what, what's, if it wasn't, then what's changed in their opinion on Luke Jacobson? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'd be a bit... You know, I'd be a bit gutted if I was him. Like, you know, he had to be pulled off early. He can't be blamed for the spring box. He had to be pulled off early because of the card situation. Yeah. Then he gets, you know, like, it's probably a little bit confusing for him. As, and then, obviously, everyone loves Ethan. Um, yeah. And, you know, he'll be hearing all that noise as well. So hopefully he's got some clarity as to why they did it. OK, so, Brendan, yeah. you know Ethan Blackadder pretty well. You bring him in, does he jump the queue? Because, you know, if we were having this conversation two years ago, it was quite clear that Ethan Blackadder was higher up the queue than uh, Luke Jacobson and probably Dalton Papali as well. They like the way he plays. Well, it's hard to say if he jumps in terms of the rankings around where, where he's going to be. I think um, just with the, the high attrition rate and bringing in someone like Ethan who can cover that 6, 7, 8, but... It, it is a little bit weird in the sense of that Luke Jacobson does that exact same role. You know, he's six, seven, and eight. So they're bringing two guys there to have the ability to be able to play six, seven, eight. So let's come back to your point, Jeff, around Luke. I'm not too sure around the clarity around what he's needing around what it looks like for him. But I think what Ethan does do, um, the areas that we've talked around in around the breakdown area, a high attrition rate, a high work rate, um, whether he's going to be coming into the squad and he's seen as a genuine option in that, in that 23, I'm not too sure. But what he does do is that his due diligence around his preparation, his work rate, and in saying that, Jason Ryan knows him as well. So I think there are a few injury issues, but um, Jason Ryan knows exactly what is required and what he wants in that forward pack. And you know that Ethan, um, through his performances with the Tasman and even previous before his injuries, he does all the great work, all the hard work, and um, has a massive engine. So that's probably some of the traits that they're looking at those loose forwards, and Ethan does that perfectly. Had Ethan been fit, he was picked. Yes. Let's be honest. Yep. Like, there's no doubt about that. So it depends how quick he can get up to speed. Um, and you'd have to think, you know, Jace Ryan's a massive fan of him. He's probably going to select the forward pack. Um, so he's a hot favourite to slip into that six jersey. Um, so... I don't, I don't want to, again, I hate singling out individuals, but we had a guy, Jerome Kano, on here calling Luke Jacobson concrete shoulders. Yeah. Like, the guy can do a job. Yeah. Like, you don't get called that from him. Mm. So, like, it, it's... They've, they've just got to get... Like, I just think there needs to be real sharp clarity with everyone in the squad, where their role is and what they need to play, and then we've got to get that rhythm like an island, as I was using before. And I think this is the thing that confuses me when I look across the squad, you know, on the weekend when you had a lock playing six, and then you had the guy who was going to start all... is actually a seven playing seven, and then you've got a number 15 <laughs> who, in his own mind, is a 10. You've got a, a right winger who's playing on the left wing, a fullback playing on the left wing, uh, Antonina uh, Brown, who prefers the centre, I think, playing at 12. You know, like, it's it's messy. I think we're scarred as well as a, as a nation that is from previous World Cups where players have played out of their, mm. probably in their secondary or, or third position. Um, but I think these guys, like... I stress again, similar players, we were all pumping them up uh, before the loss against South Africa. So <laughs> yeah. let's, just, let's, just, yeah. let's just pump the brakes a little bit. And, and um, as I, you know, that's what I've tried to point out. Like statistically, in certain areas and key areas, we actually held our own. If not, we're better than France. And that's not trying to say that France didn't deserve to win or whatever. Like, I credit the opposition, but we do take a lens where we look at New Zealand because that's, you know, obviously the team where we're excited to see do well. Mm. If we can sort that discipline out 
and get the balance of our attack right, I, I still think we're a chance in this cup. How full, how full is that glass? Can you, can you see how full it's that full, glass is? It's full, mate. It's yeah. full. Okay. It's okay. fully full. Uh, how full is your glass? Oh, of course we, we have we have the opportunity to still to still win this World Cup. Um, but it's just it's just certain areas that, that we need to be able to try and get right. And I think it's what I talked about in the very start of this this podcast is that our our margin of error against these teams is very, very small. So collectively as players, whether you're one to twenty three in crucial moments, you've got to be able to nail your job and be able to get that right. You know, whether it's a breakdown, whether it's a, um, a scrum, a set piece, or whatever it may be, that's where we haven't got it right against these top two teams. So um, whether we're, we can get that, the high kind of situational pressure leading into the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals, I'm not too sure. But in saying that, you can try and do that at training. You know, no doubt those trainers will be high-pressure situations, and those are the kind of learnings that you might be able to get um, before we get into a quarterfinal stage. But... Still okay, Ross. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's move on then to two games uh, that were pretty exciting, I thought, over the weekend. One this morning, uh, as we record here in New Zealand, Wales 32, Fiji 26. Wow, that was a game, Bryn. That was a really exciting game. One pass, and it could have all been so different. Oh, you just you just feel gutted. You just feel absolutely gutted for Fiji because, um, you know... The way that they came back, it reminded me that last 10 minutes um, of being, looked like you're in Suva or Natoka and they were just coming home with a, with a wet sail and there's nothing the Welsh could do about it. Um, you know, I think, you know, you look at the first part of the game, um, both teams played an expansive style of rugby, very good quick ball and been able to score points in that first 20 minutes. And then to be honest, in that kind of 60th minute after Dan Biggers 50-22 and they were able to score off that to make it 32-14, to be honest, I thought Wales had done enough and that was going to be the end of the kind of end of the game. But man, did they, the Fijians, with Tui Sova and Botia, the impact of that bench that came on and been able to play that Fijian rugby. And what they did in that first 10 minutes, if they were able to do that in the first 70 minutes, they probably would have got the job done. But, you know, a high... Error rate at certain times, um, not being able to build pressure, you know, held up tries, lost forward tries over the line. Those kind of situations are big moments in games. They didn't get right. But, you know, in saying that, after all that, they could have won that game with that big bridge pass from Twist over that, you know, that bounce part that just um, Brad Roger wasn't able to get it over. I think he was thinking about the celebration because nobody is stopping him that close, five metres out. Um, yeah, missed opportunity for, for the Fijians, unfortunately. They should have won that game. Like, they put themselves in a position. Um, even well before, like, I think missing that try just before the break. Um, you know, they, they, I said, as long as they don't play in their half, you know, and they only had 19 rucks in their own half, 14% of their rucks. So they didn't play a lot. They, they, they got down that end. They made Wales, you know, make three times the amount of tackles. Mm. Um, and, you know, but the, the Welsh tackled it. 89%. Um, yes, they gave 16 penalties away, but it actually wasn't trending that poorly until that they gave away eight penalties in the last quarter, and that's how it gave mm. the Fijians a wet sail to, to come home. But I think they'll look at their energy potentially on defence as well, Fiji. Mm. You know, they tackled at 78%. They only had to make 73 tackles. So you need to be... If you're... Like, defence is the thing that saps you. And if you're only having to be on D that amount of time and, and you're not that accurate, I think maybe their focus, they just pushed the envelope a little bit too much in, in all areas, I think, and, and maybe got overhyped by the by the game because 
they were in positions where had they been clinical and patient, they would have walked away with that. Mm. But credit the fight and the grit of the Welsh, and it may just be, because there's still a lot of tension. I mean, you don't want to see a team where Bigger blows up. He's a key leader in the environment, and he blows up Deluxe like he did before the break and, you know, swearing. And that's when you know things aren't smooth either. Mm. So it might be the... And they actually came out after the break, you know, and I'm sure Warren Gatlin, you know, smoothed things over and said, just calm down, you know, like we're in a we're in a good spot. Um, there's still work to be done for them, but I think that could be a big turning point for them. That's a big win against a really good team. And to put the 241 tackles into perspective, that's more than the combined tackles of France and New Zealand in that game. That is a lot yep. of tackles, Bryn. And they did it against some big men as well. Jeez, man, you look at the, the confrontation area and, and when they got a good go-forward ball with the Fijians and they were on top of on top of the Welsh building phases, they were hard to defend, man. And, the, you know, if Fiji were just that more clinical in certain situations in that game, they won that by, I think, at least, you know, 10 to 12 points. But, you know, you've got to credit the Welsh and I think, you know, sometimes having that kind of situational pressure of playing in the Six Nations, a lot of those guys playing in big matches – just did enough and in, in, in the end really to get the job done because you know to be honest at, at 32 14 you know they were probably sitting pretty thinking you know we've we've exerted that pressure from the fijians they weren't as clinical they weren't getting the points through the amount of pressure that they were had with ball in hand uh, but you know to the fijians credit they were able to come back and make an exciting finish and to be honest um you know should have really got the job done in the, in the end it was super exciting oh it was, it was it was a great game like Bryn sort of touched on a game of the round I personally, like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I thought the English game was the game of the round. Like, the way Ford orchestrated that, I enjoyed watching that. Just mm. purely from a, man, that was just so clinical. Yeah. Just, even when he took the first drop goal when he was only, at, you know, close to the line, like, I was screaming at the team, like, what are you doing, mate? But he just had the plan. He, that was such a good game from England. Um and I gave them no chance against Argentina. No chance. I, I don't know what happened to Argentina, um, but even looking at their stats, like they still had opportunities, but the defence, that pack really stood up in and around the breakdown, got crucial turnovers, and then Ford just, man, he was... That, you know, I'm a big fan of Marcus Smith. I thought, you know, I, I again thought he should have been in that 10 jersey, but, you know, Ford proved me wrong and then some. Mm. When you look at the way you're going to play, if you're going to decide we're a man down and we can't really attack this, I mean, it, it took us back to Yanni De Beer versus Australia in 1999. The drop goal is a weapon. Yep. If you can kick it from 50 metres and still have some purchase left, like, he could have kicked that from 55. He was just 60. on. Like, yeah. just... It was like, boys, I've got it. I'm chucking you on my back. You just make yeah. sure you sort out that breakdown. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got it yeah. from here. Yeah, it was yeah. very English. Uh, Tui Lange, though, as well, defensively, man, he put in some... He spooked the Argies a little bit, I think. Mm. You know, they, they, they had a high turnover count. They didn't kick a lot. Played a lot of rugby, similar to the All Blacks, maybe not in the space of the field. They wanted to, so... Um, yeah, they, you know, Atoji... Oh, there's so many in that pack, but, you know, with Tui Lange as well... Yeah. He's, 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 he's a game-changer for them as well. He's, he's got that presence. He can He can... Yeah, he makes you think, doesn't he? he? He makes you think if that ball's coming your way and he's flying out of the line. There were some hits. Yeah. <laughs> there were definitely some hits. And look, man, when you have dropped goals, and I know as a player, if you're defending, you know, six, seven phases, you've got a really good defensive ball 
even if you're 10 meters out from your line, a guy drop back, drops back in the pocket, gets three points. It's somewhat just a little bit demoralizing. Like, man, you're like, you can't really defend that. There's nothing you can really do to stop that, you know? So I think the frustration of that and being able to build scoreboard pressure, and funnily enough, you know, we've got a guy um, at Yamaha, Ed Robinson, who was uh, with the Eddie Jones Brigade and around the England skills coach and talking around, they just do not have, they just do not have the mindset around playing with ball in hand. Kick it long, exert pressure, and being able to just not play anywhere in your half. And so to come back to that DNA point, you know, if they can do that and they can have a guy that wants to get a drop goal for 50 metres every single game, um, you know, it brings back to the kind of Johnny Walker to 2003 team, I think, Ross, around when they were number one in the world. They were just, Johnny Walker would drop back in the pocket, you know, 40, 50 metres out, 30 metres out, and would get scoreboard pressure through that way. Um, so it's going to be some good conversations in and around, um, you know, that side of the pool around how you do stop the drop goal because, you know, they're not, if they don't want to play, they'll put back, get a drop goal, or they'll just drop back. You saw George Ford a lot in that in the attacking zone. Um, if they were going nowhere, he was just simply just dropping back in the pocket, putting contestables up, and then being able to put them in um, their kind of half. So, yeah, great result for England. I'm um, thoroughly impressed. And Argentina, yeah, uh, definitely question marks around um, their performance on the weekend as well. It was the speed at which he yeah. put on that nine points to get them to 12-3, which took away the impact of the cart. And to be honest, there's been a lot of flack on England. We gave them no chance. We didn't think they're getting through the pool. You know, so fair credit to them and they been able to stick at it. And to be honest, I think defensively as well, if you look at um, the, in the moments in the game, they were buoyed by a lot of those positive actions around what they were doing defensively, guys screaming, getting the repats on the back. And sometimes that kind of game where you're winning like that, um, it buoys a team and it's going to bring a build a lot of confidence, which they haven't had a lot in the last five, six test matches. So this might be something that Eddie Jones talked a lot around that one result might change things. It actually might change for England and the way that they played against Argentina's weekend. Must have a lot of belief because I, I know why they were patting themselves on the back defensively is because the week prior they were not connected. They let Fiji mm. score tries that should have been stopped. Like Argentina are a side that can score points when they go into the 22. They just couldn't get over. And, and you know, their spacing on defence, their ability to slow the ball down, their ability to, you know, correctly get the tackler to roll out and then the, the assist tackler get the turnover like they were just fully connected as a as a well 14 man team um and it, mm. it that's that's what defense is like you can just build so much confidence from that and um similar to wales it may just be you know like mm-hmm. that there's there's definitely um after this first weekend like it's made me consider you know how this will pan out massively so what has changed for you in that pool? I suppose, man, I had RG winning it. I don't see that now. Um, I need to see where Samoa are at. Um, but, oh, I mean, England are going through. Mm. You have to think. And, you know, I still think Samoa are a, are a force. So um, Argentina may miss out. Yeah, well, we're not going to see Samoa till this coming weekend against Chile. So that's probably not going to give us a tremendous indication of where they're at in comparison to Argentina and England, right? Um, and Japan, for that matter. No, but they were pretty good against Ireland. Like, I think they've got the ability to play both styles. Like, I'm still, you know, before I even see them play, I still think they'll get through to the mm. quarters. So England, Samoa, uh, no Argy. Yeah, I think unless there's a there's a you know 
Samoa beat England and then RG beat Samoa and then it's a point like it could get into that sort of situation yeah. as well. Rugby World Cups are so much fun. Like, yeah, well, I, I didn't actually <laughs> think it was going to be this interesting. Yeah. I thought it was a, like, I was pretty confident. I was like, yeah, this is going to happen. I'll, I'll wait to the quarters. And I was just like, and my wife is, <laughs> my wife's um, work are doing like a tipping comp. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been boasting about you and, you know, you'll help me with my tips and stuff. Oh, I was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. They're, they're going to be like, is he legit doing that for a yeah. job? Because he is, he's, he's dog sucker. <laughs> so out of the 29 people that are there, I think she's probably 28th. Uh, Bryn, are you dog tucker or a steak dinner? Which one are you? <laughs> he's dog tucker as well. Dog Tucker as well. I think yeah. Well, I picked England. I picked England and Argentina. I think well. I think the Simon Argentinian game um, will probably be the one that I think that puts them through to go to go second. Um, and I think you know sometimes we think Argentina. You know, I mean, maybe this is maybe they don't get the job done. But then, funnily enough, they find a way somehow to be able to play a really good game in a situational in a situational um, pressure situation. So I think the Argentina Simon game will decide Paul D and goes with England into the quarterfinals. I, I still think Fiji can get through. Aussie are under the pump. Yep. You know, Wales are going to need to play well because they're all pretty evenly matched. Wales will have to beat Aussie. Um, if they do that, but if Aussie tip Wales up, and you know, like they could end into a little three-team three tussle as well, so... Could come down to bonus points. Yeah. Um, which I think we had a conversation last week that, that you know there are bonus points. I still in think this competition. Fiji are good enough to get to the quarters. Yeah. They, they, man, they just put. They'll be disappointed because they had that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gutted for them. They're going to have to beat Australia though. You know, hundred oh, percent. So but I think they can. Like. They can. Yeah. They can, but you know. We were and you know, Aussie should have been 70% territory and nearly 65% ball. And they've got some massive strike weapons. Mm. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Georgia, but like they had every opportunity. And that's why I was trying to compare it statistically. And I know Georgia are better than Romania, but comparing it to Ireland, like they were ruthless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Looking at Georgia and the other teams, you know, Japan played Chile this morning. Uh, have there been anyone, like individual players from those uh, Minnow teams that, that have really I think Chile, I think Chile, like not individual, but as a, as a team, the other ones sort of went as, apart from, I suppose, um, who, was, who did Ireland play again? Romania, with them starting with Romania. the opening try. They weren't really in it, but like, Chile was like they were in the mix. I think it was like 27-14 at one point. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think Jamie Joseph will be all too happy with where Japan's at. We knew they weren't quite um, humming, um, but you know, I didn't like. I looked at the sort of form. Like Chile lost um, to Argentina 15, so I, I just thought Japan would run riot, but they they really. We're into it, and, and almost the heat suited them. So, based on that, when they take on England this weekend, Bryn, do you see there's any chance at all of Japan <laughs> coming into this game and getting an upset for a third World Cup in a row? If you just go through the form around where they've been the last, you know, this this last year, I just I just don't see it happening. I don't think there's anything really that 
you could have confidence in and around that they've done enough in the last six, seven test matches that would give you confidence around that. So, look, it has been done um, before. They've had a lot of had successes, had their success story in previous World Cups, but at least they've had some kind of form going into those into those games. But no, I, I don't see it happening. I see England winning very, very convincingly, and it's hard for me to say. You know, I know there's a lot of build up and a lot of a lot of hype in and around the Japanese rugby here, and they're getting behind their team, but yeah. You can't. You just can't have any form of confidence that they're going to get the result. You just never know with with Jamie Joe and and Tony Brown and a few special plays. But I, I mean, I'll pick England. Yeah, I will pick England. Like, how could you not after that performance? But yeah, we have. I think you know we've watched a lot of this, the Japanese team the last six, seven Test matches. Yeah, we've said a lot around Tony Brown and around Jamie Joseph that they could turn a turn a corner, but it's, they just haven't shown any of it. Nah, it hasn't happened. And you'd have to think Chile would have been that. That time to do it without get a confidence performance, a confident performance. Sorry, and yeah, they weren't that at all. They'll be bitterly disappointed. So I can't see it happening at all. Right. What about individuals? Is there anyone who stood out to you over the over the weekend that you were like, wow, this this bloke is absolutely nailed it. We've talked about forward. We've talked about you know a few other players. Um, oh, two players for me, and I, I didn't really talk about it last week as, as sort of players to watch because we talked about you know player of the Rugby World Cup, but. Um, Halibut. Yeah. He was, yeah. his feet to stand up Artie and draw Mark and for that try, like, and I know we actually said that him and Intermark were really fighting out for that position, but man, he was good. Yeah. He was awesome and almost outshone DuPont. Mm. Um, and um, I'm, I'm a big th- fan of Nyatha Levu, the, the, the Fijian <laughs> skipper. Yeah. He, he's been yeah. playing well the last four or five tests, and these are my notes for last week, so you can see I'm not making it up. Um, but he is he is my player to watch. He, he is big, strong, but also really, really smart footballer. And mm. when he um, picks and chooses his moment to offload, you know, hit a line, um, you know, even has the ability to use the boot as well. So he, I can see why he's their captain. Yeah, we combine him with Rondrandra. Oh. <laughs> it's nuts. That's a good That offload yeah. he gave inside to yeah. Sammy this morning was, you know, that was, yeah. he made that look easy, but that was not easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had um, I had Nathan Levy as well. He was one guy that, that I had, but I think I had Aldrich from, from the French. Yeah. I thought he was massive around that performance for, for the French and his ability around what he what he does as a number eight um, is, is world class. And then I think as well, Got to get special mention. I know it was against Romania, but Johnny Sexton. Fuck. Yeah. And for his age. Jamo was his. And Jamison gets. Um, I know it's against, obviously, the less opposition, but man, you know, he's played a lot of rugby. And to be honest, it didn't look like Johnny Sexton missed a beat. And he's going to be massive in and around that Irish team. And good luck to anybody going up against uh, those two, because I think um, I talked around Jamison Gibson Park being probably the world player of the year, I think he's going to be, uh, considering um, the Irish team in this, in this World Cup. But Johnny Sexton. At his age, man, he could go another another couple of years, I reckon. Okay, let's look at the picks for the weekend's action coming up. Uh, first game, France, Uruguay. Well, the French. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand, Namibia. Yeah. Samoa, Chile. Like the first three games this weekend, four games probably, Wales, Portugal. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> most of this is relatively straightforward. Uh, Ireland, Tonga. Um, South Africa, Romania. Okay, then we get down to the bottom two. Uh, Australia, Fiji. Fiji. You're picking Fiji? I'm going for it. I'm going to go Australia. Yeah. As much as things change, 
things somehow remain the same. I think that's what we learned over the weekend. I'm still holding faith. <laughs> um, <it's laughs> England against Japan. You're England. England, yeah. Yeah, England, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's probably not as big a weekend for the big games coming up this weekend, but what it is a big weekend is for figuring out how you're going to flow your way through the tournament, who you're going to select, how you're going to get through it, and, you know, there could be an upset that Fiji Australia is. Oh, there is. That's happening. That's happening. It's happening. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely. I would say that's slightly under half full. But, yeah, um, yeah. You're seeing a full glass. Oh, always. Always. <laughs> so I've got through life. Right, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, putting up with us uh, for the last hour once again. Uh, we will catch you next week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. James Parsons. Cheers. Bryn Hall over in Japan. And please uh, come and get in contact with us. Get us an email, Aotearoa Rugby pod at sky.co.nz leave a comment in the YouTube section we'll try our best to answer any questions you have and uh, really connect with you throughout the tournament so thank you very much for joining us again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod we'll catch you next week Aotearoa